This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Well, welcome everybody. I am so glad you are here. I get to start off this new series called Flipped. It's a series that I'm really excited about. And Chuck will be coming back, but I just want to confess to you, I get to do the best part of the series. So I'm really excited about that. And the series, uh, From Me to You, that's really a story about flipping from being ego-centered and really letting go of having life be all about me. So it's me, me. It's not just me to you. It's me, 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 you. And changing that focus and flipping it. What I love about this is if you think about Jesus's mission as it is told in the New Testament, you realize that the whole story is about flipping. It really is about going from me to you. It's going from me to God, but from me to the neighbor. And it's about changing, radically changing a perspective from being self-focused, materialistic-focused, run by whatever agendas come up out of that lower part of ourselves to being more altruistic and really becoming human. So we have a picture here that's going to show up. What is wrong with this picture? Picture says a thousand words. I would suggest that this is a picture of somebody who is struggling with their priorities. Is, is that fair? Is that fair? So we don't want to talk about what's going on. Maybe the person had a heart attack. Who knows? But, but I'm just thinking here that might be somebody who struggles a little bit with this subject going from me to you and what is suggested by what life is all about by that picture. So we're looking for something different, right? So do me a favor. We are going to, I'm going to invite you to text me. We have a question here. Question is, what is something that you like to do that helps you be more human than you ordinarily are. So what's something you like to do or maybe what's something you would like to do that makes you more human? You can take a minute and discuss that among yourselves as well. Let's go. Somebody said, what does it mean to be more than human? I don't know. I don't have an answer what I would do to be more than human. I got to say, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But to be able to help someone, absolutely. To be able to listen exercising, uh, what else? We, I got a lot of things coming in. Truly listening, deeply listening to another person, trying to understand, hiking in the desert with my family from Arizona, fishing, there you go, I love that one, um, listening, mothering a sick child, coming to church, wow, this is so cool, not sure what that is, uh, oh, wait, I'm getting into other texts. No wonder. <laughs> Part of being human is not looking at your phone too much. I think that that's probably how I would have, how I would have said it. Uh, one of the things I want to ask, though, is what is the definition of a human being? And just think about that for a minute. And there's two parts of this that I like to answer. One is 
I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. How would you define human? And what does that really mean? And I can think of a variety of answers. Probably some of them are showing up in my texts right now. But, but another way of thinking about it is, like, what, what is the standard characteristic of humanity? I was looking around online about that, doing some Google searching and some YouTube searching, and I think one standard answer that I agree with, that's just a basic answer, is that a human being has the ability to think outside of him or herself, that you can separate thought from one's own being. And what's implied by that is more important to me, and that is a human being has the ability to act in an altruistic way. And what that means is a human being has the ability to go out and serve someone else without any thought of recompense or how that service reflects back to the self. And that seems to be pretty standard in our world for what it means to actually operate as a human being. So if you see someone suffering, you go out and you help that person with their suffering, and you're not expecting a check, you're not expecting kudos or a shout-out on Facebook or whatever. It's really, you're just able to go out and serve that person, leaving the ego or the self behind. So that's my first little definition of humanity, and the second kind of builds out of that. Just the word human, think about that. What does that word come from? Human comes partly from the word dirt. And it's really cool, if you read the Hebrew of Genesis and the creation story, the name Adam actually means dust. So it's connected also in with this word dirt, like there's a whole story about dirt that's tied in with humanity. And you could almost say that human, so the word human is tied with humus, so that's the dirt word, right? It's also tied with humility, which is where we're going with this talk. And it's all about kind of getting down into the level of dirt in our humanness. I think that's really cool. So the word human, instead of saying earthling, is more, I think of it as being dirtling, that we are all Fundamentally, dirtlings, we're all down in that gritty, dirty space. And when we get down there in our consciousness, it's not that we are living that dirt, but we're interacting with others in that space. And when we get down and interact in an altruistic way with others in that space where there's dirt, there's hardship, there's suffering, there's decay, there's all of these things that we have to confront in our lives, When we get down there and do that, that interaction causes something extremely beautiful to start happening in our lives. Think about that. Now the band, I'd like to invite you to come out. We're going to do our next song, our bucket song. And as they come out, just reflect a little bit about what can happen when we really get consciously living with others, willing to acknowledge that there's that kind of level of just plain physical hardship in our lives, and we're interacting in a space that's helping people cope with that and rise up so that life is a little bit better. Where did the band go? Did they leave?
All right. Well, the band will actually come out at some point. <laughs> They're gone. All right. Well, eventually the band will come out. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> or I could just leave. I don't know. <laughs> so when we're thinking about this, what I want you to do is just think about a story. I have this story, and yes, the story is biblical. It's a story that Jesus taught. And rather than reading you the story, I'd like to tell it to you, kind of using today's language. So I think of a minister. And this minister, we're just going to hang on while I do this story for a little bit, okay? Think about this minister. This minister really knows his stuff. He is a bright minister. He's a great preacher. He goes out and he knocks it out of the park. People cry when he preaches and all, oh, wow, that's really cool. And he knows it. And that preacher, he knows his Bible forward and he knows it backward. And when somebody comes to him and asks him for advice, he has the answer every time. It's amazing. It's amazing how much he thinks he knows. So this minister is going into church and there's a crowd of people coming into church and one of the people coming into church happens to be an accountant who works for the IRS. And as an accountant who works for the IRS, you know, he knows he's not the most popular person in the room and when people find out what he does for a living, yes, he hears the whispering, he hears jokes and that kind of thing. And but honestly, it gets a little old after a while, okay? So here they are in church, and while well, the minister, the minister gets up, and the minister prays with himself. And this is actually a quote. He prays with himself. And think about that. And he says, Oh God, I am so glad I am not like everybody else in this room. I am glad I'm not like the sinners here. I'm glad I'm not like the adulterers. I'm glad I'm not like those people who are stealing. But of all the people, I am glad I am not like that accountant over there who works for the IRS. That's one heck of a prayer, I gotta say. Meanwhile, the accountant is also praying. The accountant is so ashamed of himself, he is afraid to even lift his eyes toward heaven, sitting off in a corner, and he's praying, oh God, help me, save me, because I am a sinner. And that's all he's praying. He's praying it quietly, not trying to make a spectacle. Those are the two examples that Jesus is talking about. So now my question for you is, reflect during the next song, reflect for a minute from God's eyes. Let's, let's just assume, and this is true, God looks down on all his children, all the people that are living on this planet, and he sees that there's a lot of suffering in the world. And if God is saying, who can I use to reach out and help my people who are suffering 
Who do you think would be higher on the list there if he was going to choose one or the other? Who do you think would be more appropriate to go out and meet somebody who's broken and help them with their suffering? Let's have our song. You know, I like to tease the band a little bit, but I have to say, it is an incredible honor to be able to work with this kind of talent. It really is amazing. So uh, part of the point of this story about the minister and the tax accountant is it's about ego, right? And uh, the writings for our church have this statement about ego that it's, it's our ego or our self-centeredness that is our actual hell. And if you think about what hell is, it's, it's really not about dancing flames and that we're being dangled over a pit of burning fire or anything like that. It's actually more about the lack of satisfaction that comes from chasing our ego and coming to actually realize that, you know, if you chase after ambition that's ego-based ambition, No matter how hard you chase, no matter how many goals you attain, you're never going to find the kind of satisfaction that equals anything that's in comparison with what God has to offer for our hearts. It's an emptiness. And gradually you come to the same place as this Pharisee where you pray with yourself because there is nobody else. And it's a place of loneliness and ultimately emptiness because you have a void that simply cannot be filled. So David Brooks also, he says, uh, ego is a desperate longing in a small space. And I love that too because it kind of identifies, at least for me, how if you're chasing after your ego and you're chasing after that kind of satisfaction, one of the things hopefully you come to realize is instead of your world opening up and you being able to explore new insights and new avenues and there's new creativity and there's new juice coming into your lives, what you're coming to a place is there's no growth in that. There's no expansion. And actually, I think what happens physically is it's as if your world gets smaller and smaller and lonelier and lonelier. And that's just a terrible place to be. So when we're talking about flipped and we're talking about radical transformation that Christianity is inviting people to behold Part of it is going from ego to going from a place that has a very different focus. And I just want to say at the outset, the person may not appear to others to be any different. Like you can't tell if somebody is humble or proud simply by looking at a person. It's what's going on inside that really, really matters in this the most. However, let's look at a film clip. I'm not a prey. 
there and you can hear me, show me the way. I'm at the end of my rope, right? Show me the way. So, of course, that's George in It's a Wonderful Life, one of my favorite movies of all time. And George is there, well, he's going through a hard time. That's not the most wonderful part of his life. He is a banker trying to run a little savings and loan thing. And, and well, a co-worker loses $8,000. It turns out another banker had swiped it. So it's a bad place. And he, he just doesn't know where he's going, and he winds up just turning to God. And that, that's a good place to be. I think that, um, well, here's another slide again that I think talks about how outrageous this humility is and this flip into trying to be um, available and present and, and a little bit more about what that's like. So we have heavenly secrets or secrets of heaven that says the more clear we are about our brokenness the more we are open to God and to others and the more we are open to mutual love which is a desire to serve everyone but it kind of starts with being clear about what we're not and being clear that yeah we are all all pretty vulnerable as human beings and pretty, pretty broken. I don't think this is necessarily very easy. If you think about life, um, trying to really get in touch with what it means to be just a vulnerable human being, it's easy to kind of bounce back up into this other, other pharisaic level, as it were, and start, you know, entertaining thoughts of superiority or, or dreams. And, and a lot of this is just pure fantasy when we start thinking we're better or smarter or more able than others. Um, and clicking, we, you know, we so easily click back up. I want to share with you a little story in, as we're in this space. Um, there was a, valedictory address that Bill Clinton was invited to give to Harvard University. And so the graduating class arguably was a class, people with pretty high IQs. It's difficult to get into Harvard, as we all know. And he stood there looking at the class, and he said to this class, he said, look, there are people here that are going to clean up the trash from this place after you leave. These people are working low-paid jobs. They did not go to Harvard. And I would invite you just to take a look at their DNA and compare it with yours. Because when you compare the DNA of the two of you, you'll find that they are indistinguishable. And you are not so better off than they are. And you're not you're not so different. In fact, you're so similar that if you look at yourselves on a slide through a microscope, you can't tell the difference. And that is a message that has stuck with me for a long time. By the way, I didn't get into Harvard. I wasn't there. But I, it's a great, a great story. So 
The point is, how do we achieve it when it is difficult? And I think getting into the space where we start to recognize that God is the source of our life. Anything that is good, anything that is alive, comes from outside of us. We are not the origin of our life. We are not the origin of our happiness. We cannot achieve for ourselves anything that will bring us anything that is lasting. So it has to be different. We have to step outside of that. And as was said in the slide before this, when we recognize that we are broken as human beings, that we are pretty vulnerable, we are just basic, no different from anybody else, that automatically shifts us into a position where we are more able to receive God's life into our hearts. And that life does something amazing to us. That life starts to kind of percolate away in our heart, and it causes us to start realizing and seeing how important a life of service is for others. So it's that love there that generates the flip. It's the love that really completes it and cements us on a path somewhere else than our own loneliness and self-absorption that turns us to others and starts getting us to act as human beings, as the dirtlings we were intended to be so that God can flow into our hearts, lift us up, and actually give us something that's very clean and very spiritual and very high, which is his heavenly life, which is intended for every one of you and me. So when you are humble, I've been thinking about what are characteristics that we see in theology of a humble person. And I just derived a few of them right here. So when you are humble, you view your external conditions of life, not as your own personal misery, but they are conditions for service. And if you are blessed with lots of ability and lots of uh, perhaps wealth or whatever, you can serve from that base, and that will make you very happy. If you are blessed with humble conditions, with less maybe material means, a humble person starts looking for the opportunities within that space in order to serve. And believe me, those opportunities come up through incredible insights that other people may not have. And those insights... And don't forget this, those insights have incredibly deep value for the human race. Humble people avoid harboring resentment towards others. That's, you know, something I think we all struggle with. But, but really, if you get caught up with the, oh, I'm going to be resentful or angry about any character, and we, we kind of focus our energy on that, then, then where's the space for us to operate from for service? We lose all that. It's like it just wipes it clean. So humble people, one of the characteristics is they avoid that because it takes up the bandwidth that they need to actually be uh, serving and communicating with others. Humble people know how little they know. That's just a fact of life. If you're humble and you're down in the dirt, you're a dirtling, 
you know, well, we are just all in this together, and I don't have all the answers. Compare that with what that, uh, that minister was saying earlier in the service, that he did have it all. Now he doesn't have it all. He doesn't have any more answers than anybody else. And you can be the most intelligent person on this planet. And once again, you compare that intelligence with what the average person has or what the below average person has, you can't even see the difference. And the point of this is, is it's a perspective. Because when you have an open perspective and you realize that you have relatively little and you know relatively little, then you listen in a different way. And that listening deeply and that learning connects you with other people, allowing for kind of beautiful service to happen that I guarantee will not happen when you come into the room and say, I have all the answers. It doesn't work. And who wants to listen to that anyway? So then the final piece, and I think this is the most important, humble people are deeply happy. Humble people are deeply happy. If you want to be happy in your life, consider practicing humility. I love this because if you go out in the self-help world, you can read books about success. You can read books about uh, ascendance. You can read books about cog- improving cognitive, cognitive function. I can't even say that. Cognitive function. <laughs> you can read all this stuff, but so much of it isn't postured toward living a humble life. And this is where I see this as such a radical flip that when you flip it to you are here to serve others. God is working within you in a way because this is truly human. This is what it means to be that dirtling that I was talking about. You lower yourself. You're not trying to be more important. than You're just a dirtling like everybody else. But when you are serving from that place, God is flowing through you. You're recognizing that God is that source of your life. And you're able to receive that in a way that just simply otherwise is not possible. That is an incredible blessing. Just imagine for a minute. Let's imagine. We, we all walk out of here and we're practicing humility. Tomorrow we're practicing humility. Tomorrow we're, per, we're, recogn- we're not pretending. We're going to recognize <laughs> that we don't have all the answers. We're going to listen in a new way. We're going to be able to reach out and serve in a new way. Think of the love that would flow into the world in a different way. Think about how God's love being more recognizable in your heart is going to flow out from your actions. But when that's happening in a hundred different ways, in the same environment, something amazing will happen. I was reflecting before the service about how powerful just this New Church Live movement is where I see it goes out in waves. We, we take a, 
a Monday morning concept, people take that Monday morning concept and they practice it. It goes out in waves and it affects other people who didn't have anything to do with this service. And then they are affected by it and they pass it out. It goes out in waves. The waves go out farther and farther and farther, way beyond anything that we can recognize or see ourselves. But it is a way to subtly, gradually change the world, change the world by bringing God's love and making it more present, making it more alive and active. And through that, we all, all of us, are more human. So that's my talk for this morning. And I'm going to invite you to join with me with some prayer. And you can, I'll pray for a little bit, and then we'll have some silent time for prayer and meditation. You can say the Lord's Prayer if you wish. You can say your own prayer. Uh, it's just a time to connect. Oh God, Jesus Christ, we turn to you as the one who has incredible power and life and vitality and insight, kind of wisdom that we could never generate on our own. We turn to you asking that you stimulate us first with the love, but also with the thoughts and the wisdom that's tied in with those loves if they come from you. Give us the healing that we need so that we can dialogue with others and share with others and listen to them. And through those conversations, see your love actively present and share with them some of the thoughts that we have, but listening to others at the same time so that there's a community of dialogue that reflects your divine life. Lift us up, O oh Lord. Keep us on a path that remembers that the least in our world will be the greatest, and the greatest will be the least, and that we really are just about serving and communicating your love. We recognize through that you will make great things happen. Amen. listening you can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv 